running a shrinking business is absolutely miserable. But if you can get through it, you can come out stronger the other side. So that's what I say is knowing when to give up is super important. Like, is it because it's hard? Then you shouldn't give up unless you're done. Like if you want to cash, be done and you know, and you are consciously making the decision that you're giving up, fine. I'm not going to judge you for it. Do what you want to do. But it's not because the business failed. It's because you failed and that's okay. What are we talking about on the Grow Your Damn Business podcast? We're talking about business, specifically your business. Is it growing or are you stuck? How painful is that growth? Is it running you or are you running it? Are you working in your business or on your business? On the Grow Your Damn Business podcast, we explore these questions and much more. Expect a lively, spirited discussion about what it takes to grow your damn business. And now, onto the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Grow Your Damn Business podcast. Uh, so pleased today to be joined by Eric Huberman. Eric is the founder and CEO of Hawk Media, joining us today from lovely Santa Monica, California. Eric, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it, and thanks for covering out some time out of your busy schedule. So, Eric, let's start where we are today. I'd like to just know a little bit more about Hawk Media, what, what you got into there, and then we'll, we'll figure out how you got to where you are today. So what what is Hawk Media spending its time on right now? Sure. So we just got rated the top performance marketing agency in the country. And what I'd say that means is we are the best at actually driving revenue growth profitably for companies. Um, and that's been the focus for a decade is how do we build an engine that leverages technology, now AI and all these things, you know, along with talented marketers to uh, basically maximize the revenue opportunity for brands. And yeah. we've always been very numbers focused while leveraging marketing and sociology and all these things to drive those numbers. But uh, yeah, we've thankfully now, you know, basically become one of the best, if not rated the best uh, at that. And with that, we also are, we have a fund that we invest in a lot of the softwares and tools and technology that powers what we do. And we spent a decade building our own AI system that we launched right before ChatGPT that uh, basically is digesting over 8,000 companies' marketing, media, and revenue data in real time, allowing us to shift budgets and shift marketing uh, strategies based on how the market's moving. So again, always trying to figure out how do we continue to be the best at what we do, but also very easy to work with. Well, yeah. Well, hey, first of all, congrats on the recognition. Didn't even know that before we got started here. So congrats on that. Uh, AI dominant topic these days. Sounds like you guys got got to jump on it. Um, for those of us uneducated, like myself, so I'll speak for that. And anyone who happens to be listening that is also uneducated, when you say digesting all of the information out there, could you could you lay that out for us just a little bit to give us a sense of yeah. how you're using that to to really benefit your clients and, and help them get get ahead of the latest because it's so dynamic. Yeah. So when I came, I you know I discovered or got introduced to AI, I would say about a decade ago, and like the thought of it, obviously, it didn't exist yet. But started to understand the timelines. There's a guy named Ray Kurzweil that was one of the biggest thought leaders in it a decade ago and still is. I think he still runs AI at Google. Um, and he had laid out this timeline of basically he said by 2023, computers will be able to mimic human intelligence in the way that their processing power is. And they'll feel like artificial intelligence, but it will still take six years before it's true artificial intelligence. So they think 2029 is when that happens. And the irony is that's the timeline. Like, Right before 2023, you know, fall of 22 is when we had ChatGPT, and all of a sudden it feels like we're working with artificial intelligence. So thankfully, I studied him and understood his timelines and understood what he was predicting and just assumed like I have no, no other, you know, nothing else to point to. So I might as well just assume this is, you know, on some level correct and we can always adapt if it isn't. And so uh, we started to discuss at Hawk how will or what will be the biggest disruptors for our business. Like one of my, the books I read that I've plugged a lot recently, 
I read a book when I first graduated college called Appetite for Self-Destruction by Steve Knopper, who was a Rolling Stone author, writing about the music industry's inability to adapt and innovate. So constantly companies were falling apart because they didn't jump on when it went from record to tape, tape to beta, beta to or an eight track, eight track to CD, CD to streaming, like companies resisted, resisted, resisted. And so I come from a school of you've got to just constantly disrupt yourself and keep moving. And so I saw AI as a place that was going to really disrupt the marketing world. And so I then went, okay, but I'm not a you know hundred billion dollar company or a trillion dollar company that's going to build the artificial intelligence. That's not, I'm not an engineer. I'm not going to be the guy to do that. So it was realistic, but I'm like, but what can I do? And that's where, and this is all answering your question. I realized that AI, I think, and I still think this is going to be like the internet where everyone's going to have access to some form of AI and it's going to be ubiquitous and we all have access to it. So then what, what gives me a moat? What gives me a differentiator? What gives me a competitive advantage? See, it's the access to data and knowledge that other people don't have so that I can train AI better than someone else. And so again, about eight years ago, I realized this. And so I said, okay, we need to capture a ton of real-time data on the market and marketing. The only people that have this data at scale is like Google, Meta, a few others, but no one that would use it in uh, sort of without any type of bias. Like Google's not going to tell you to stop spending on Google and to spend on Facebook and things like that. Right. So thankfully we're, you know, we've worked with at this point, 4,500 brands, but we've done audits and run through probably 50,000 brands. And through part of that, we started collecting a lot of data and asking for license to data and finding partnerships on the data. We ended up aggregating between seven and 8,000 companies marketing data running through our pipes in real time. And it's their media spends, it's their Google Analytics, their Shopify data, their email marketing data, all these different sources that then we can tag them based on industry. We do anonymize it to keep it so we're not sharing some individual right. company's data. And then we're able to actually see based on industry, based on type of customer, type size of business, et cetera, what is happening in the market and where are the best places to spend money as well as what are the benchmarks so that I can look at an individual company and know in real time, where are they missing? Where are they operating below average? And is it their click-through rate on Facebook or is it their conversion rate off of Google or what? what is it that is actually in, on uh, all these micro numbers that we can actually look at so that we know what we need to attack and right. where we need to focus as marketers? So not only does it save us a ton of time on the analysis, but I'd argue that most marketers don't even do that analysis. And they're just like, oh, I think it's this. And there's a lot of gut feeling with it. And now we have all the data to educate that. So as time has moved on, we've now incorporated ChatGPT into it. So you can actually talk to it and say like, how is this going? What's performing here? What do I need to look out for and have these conversations? And our hope is, and our plan is uh, to start actually implementing changes. Like, hey, we noticed your click-through rate on Facebook is below market. We think it's because of your headlines. These are some recommendations of what you should change them to. And if you, so real, just real time, and obviously as, as you work through your clients there, if you can't name a client, totally understand. I don't want you to, to give it away, but have you, have you seen some of these clients that have been able to take what you've shared and, and had that dramatic turn there? Because once again, you're providing that back, right? It's 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 real time and ever evolving. So you're be able to, to, to stay on top of that. Whereas if you're going off gut instinct, intuition feel right that's dangerous and, yep. and you know that's been their past performance do you have any really i guess at the end of the day is it a really good use case or that you can say you know company x learned this really quickly and that pivot was worth why if anything like that you can share maybe just a use case right i don't want you to have to give away to your clientele but just you know, putting that into real world right so you know that's 
the concept is spend wisely, right? Get the biggest return, right? I mean, that's the concept of it and use the- But it's also identifying where the problem actually is. So yes, yeah. a good, good example is we had a client that they started looking at the returns on Facebook and they're like, our Facebook returns have dropped incredibly low. They're like one eighth of what they were before. Like, what is wrong with Facebook? We need to fix Facebook. Right. And they kept yelling at us to fix the Facebook ads. When we dive in, we looked at all their metrics and their click-through rate, their CPMs, all the main metrics of Facebook were the same. Their conversion rate has dropped through the four. Well, that's not Facebook. So we looked at it and it's their site conversion rate had dropped through the four. So then we said, well, did you change your site? They're like, oh, we just made some minor changes. It's like, no, no, no. <laughs> the day, What day did you make those changes? Yeah. And it was the exact day their conversion rate dropped. And yeah. it's like, you, what happened? So then we did a site speed analysis. And of course, their site speed it their load speed had 4x so on mobile it went from like half a second to two full seconds to load each page so it's like click one two click one two it's like yeah they were losing a ton of business out the back that way and so we were able to identify that and fix can, it can pinpoint that, that's yeah. an example of like yeah your facebook returns were bad but that's not where the problem was right truly valuable right and then and yeah. lend folks realize that look at these things these things are interconnected in that way. So you said really about eight years or so that where this was something you said, okay, this could be a differentiator force, a disruptor in this space. Along the way, I, I it's never in a straight line, right? It, you know, the the things that that happen, there are no overnight success stories and, and, the, and yeah. the company has reached this latest recognition there. What are some things along the way that were real catalysts for that next level of growth or the next level of understanding? If you think back over that journey there, can you point to a couple of real key moments that were, oh, when we did that, th that was a game changer for us internally as you're building that, build out the business. I mean, the first was really easy, which is bringing on my partner who basically managed the day to day so I could focus on growth. Like okay. that was yeah. a huge driver because it freed me up for the first three and a half years. I was the growth driver of the business because I didn't have to manage all the day to day and free. I, I've seen this with, uh, there's a guy named Cameron Harold that's like the COO whisperer, I'd say. And he talks about yeah. like the COO's job is to make sure the CEO doesn't get pulled into the company. Yeah. And I think that I had that opportunity for a long time. And that really freed me up to look at growth and not worry about like, did we actually get these things done? So that was number one. Number two, oh, what do, I mean, it was just realizing as the founder, you have to drive. Like that was a huge part of it is just like knowing that it's, you know, and it's sad truth, but like you see it with the biggest companies in the world. If the founder is not driving a vision of growth and expansion, that, that even the most senior executives aren't going to. Yeah. So it's like look, like pushing that side of it is super important. The culture, the pace, the innovation trickles from the top. I, lo I love that you brought that up. So it's two things that we talk about quite a bit with, with our clients and within the US framework that, that we utilize to, to, to work with clients to help reach that. The first is knowing what you're good at. So what is, you know, delegate and then elevate to your unique superpower. You're the business growth, the idea guy. You can hear it as you talk, right? You've got ideas. You can kind of see down the road a little bit and thinking yep. about those things. That's that's a superpower. But that is really hard to combine with the, I'm going to care about all these details day to day. Like that's really two yeah. sides of the brain. Now there are some unicorns that can do both, but in this case, sounds like that. Bringing in that, the yin to your yang or however you want to describe it, right? Bringing in that, that alter ego. It's not that people can't function in both. It's that if you're doing something, you're sacrificing something course, else. So if you're not yes. fully dedicated to expansion, you're just not going to expand as fast. If yeah. You, I don't know that there's, there's definitely a lack of a desire, but I don't know that there's a lack of ability for me to be operational. It's just, that's not my highest and best use. And so we would have never 
accomplished what we have. Absolutely. No, that's why just because you can do it doesn't mean you should do it. It's the you know, right. where I was getting to yeah. right. And then realizing that is really critical. And, and oftentimes when we're talking to businesses that are struggling, it's because of that. The, the founder is trying to do all things and he or she can't let go to the degree they need to. And yes, because you can do it. Of course, you've got some capabilities to do it. It's great. You may you may like yep. to, it, may not to do it. It's not even about that. But where is the best use of the time, as you said, and to really yep. focus on, on, on the growth and, and taking the company forward in that way. Well, exactly. let's rewind a little bit. So, so before Hawk Media, like you, you've been you've been on your own for right, right. I don't I don't know if we can uh, the, the tag you with the label serial entrepreneur, but this is your thing, right? You love ideas and starting things and, and keeping rolling. Yep. So, where does that come from? Eric, is it something that was modeled for you? Is this is this something that's from inside? I'd love just to get the, for in your own in your own words, like why why this and not just hey, I'm going to go work at job, be a W two, and you know I can be an internal entrepreneur, but I, you know starting starting companies is not not easy. So so where's so, that coming from? Let's say it's a couple of things. Uh, one is my dad was an entrepreneur, my grandfather was an entrepreneur, so I just took it for granted in that in the more literal sense of the word, where it's yeah. like that's just what you do. You go learn from other people so you can go build your own thing. I always thought that's what I'd do. Um, I also, you know, I think it, it's so funny because entrepreneurs want to pat themselves on the back and talk about all the risks they took. It's bullshit. Like having a job's just as risky as building a company. Uh, of course. You're, you're, you're at the mercy of your customers. You're at the mercy of your boss. You're at the mercy of the market. Like, I don't really believe that it's, it's more work for sure. So, and like that, I won't shy away from, like, you don't get to just go home at the end of the day. Like there's days and nights that you don't get to sleep because you got to keep the thing going. Yeah. So it's definitely more work. Um, but I, one of my favorite lines on entrepreneurship is work like most won't, so you can live like most can't. And I believe that there's not truer words in terms of entrepreneurship. Now, the, uh, other piece of that is I had some jobs where, uh, I had bad bosses. I had bad leadership. I had stupid decisions I didn't agree with that ended up taking down companies. And I just learned, you know, thankfully young that I didn't want to leave my destiny in the hand of someone that might not be as smart as I am. And I'd rather just live with my own decisions. Any sort of lessons that you remember taking from your father or even your grandfather, things that they shared? So obviously the power of observation is key. That's the environment that, that you're in as well. So you're seeing that. So yeah, maybe it's a little more natural, but can you, can you think back to any of those conversations or, or things that, that when you talk with them and said, okay, this is, this is for me, this is what I'm about. Yeah. Neither of them were big teachers. It was more okay. observation, but I'd say hard work. You know, mm. I tell my dad, I, you know, Hey, I'm working up at 6am every day to get to work. And he's like, what's wrong with 5am? Like, it was just like, <laughs> There's always more work to do. There's right. always more hustle than you. And not that, you know, and he worked hard, but like not that he was always like, he worked hard, but I wouldn't say the level of like crazy workaholic that I never saw him. But he definitely tried to push and instill a work ethic in me because it's really easy to sit back and lose that. So having that sort of, you know, devil on your shoulder, like you can work harder, you can do more, you can do more, I think does, is a necessary part of being an entrepreneur. What was his business film? I'm asking what, what was he? Yeah, he was in the waste business and real estate from that. Did you ever work in the business with him and see it firsthand? For a summer in college, my freshman year, and realized there's no way I could ever work for my dad. <laughs> Loved the guy, but like I was the oldest. He was super concerned I'd be like, you know, some nepotistic, spoiled rich kid. And he's like, so he did the opposite and made sure that- Made it hard. I, 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 it's not that I earned everything, that there was no ability to earn anything. That it was like, you're going to just stay at the bottom. I was yeah. like, yeah, I'm- I've yeah, so didn't go that route. Yeah, so uh, just taking it back, and whether you use Hawk Media, maybe even a, a previous company, you know, there there are going to be times when you're committed to one thing, but maybe a client or somebody else says, 
hey, can you guys do this for us? Like they're going to ask you to maybe get away from the thing that you're focused on or provide a, a set of services. Have you ever been guilty of changing, uh, chasing that shiny object or, or going down a path that was not true to what you're really trying to deliver? Uh, any any examples of that where it's come up in 3F course? It's more side businesses and like other projects than it yeah. was like changing what Hawk did. Yeah. I was always pretty disciplined about like staying the course with Hawk. Good. But there were definitely times where it's like, oh, but we could co-found this company and go, you know, build a t-shirt brand or build this or build that using us as a platform. And, you know, in hindsight, the more I look at like some of those side projects we did, the more I was like, that was a waste of time. If I had focused on getting a couple extra clients, yeah. I would have been better off. But we learned that lesson. Sure. And now we're in a place where we kind of have all the pieces between the, you know, marketing agency, the venture fund, the AI tool, the capital arm, which financing our clients. And it's like, we don't really look for other ways to do that anymore. Yeah, but those are great lessons to, to, to be learned because it, it can be dangerous. And and certainly there's lots of stories out there where you're trying to be all things because a client asks you to do it. You want to be all things to all people or, or it looks like it's a great complimentary type business, but it actually is a distraction and can take yeah. you away from that. And it's like you said, if I just spent that time and energy doing the thing that we're really getting good at and, and learning from, right? It's going to be there. So Exactly. And that's, that's the yeah. thing is it goes back to similar what you said about... Um, the split, you know, can people do both in the unicorn? Yeah. It's like, you can, you can also manage seven companies, but all of them are going to get a seventh of your time. So who's going to win? And that's the end of the day. It is a competitive landscape. And like, whether it's beating yourself or beating someone else, like if you're not putting all your time in the, if you're not using your time in its best use, you're doing it wrong. So by nature, even having two companies, if they're not synergistic and building each other, then by nature, you're misserving yourself because one of them is not going to be as valuable as the other. So when you're in the spot of investing in companies, and, and is it is it really just a financial investment? Are they getting any of that headspace from you? How does how does that work when, you, oh, when yeah. you're making some investments? Right. And, and how's that role, how does that play into this? Because it is interesting that you're taking that and trying to help some other companies love with some capital as part of your portfolio. It's hyper strategic. And I'd say it's almost the inverse of what I just mentioned, which <laughs> is what we realized was we were partnering up with all these softwares and helping create giant businesses as being a great partner. And it's like, why wouldn't we want to be a partner financially? Yeah, like we, okay. you know, we we invested in Clavio late, but we were their first official agency partner and grew with them. And now, you know, they just IPO'd and thankfully we were an investor, but we had the opportunity to invest in their first round. I just didn't have any money at that time. I didn't want to make that mistake again. Right. And okay. so my first actual investment was a company called FabFit Fund that we've done marketing with and worked with a, a, a long time. And they became a multi-billion dollar company and we were in their first investment round. It was like, oh. Yep, this is a good idea. We That's should do good. more. It's I good. like that. <laughs> I like like with this. I mean, they don't all hit, but when they hit, it's that it's nice, no. right? It, it, yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's, and thankfully, uh, we have more wins than losses, and that's right. where you know our first fund is looking really good, and we're on our second fund now. And then our angel investments have also done very well. So, it's we realize that in more over time, we get better and better and better at investing because yeah. we learn like, what to look out for, what the mistakes are, and so even with our mistakes, we did really well. But now we're even better at picking because we understand what really worked. Are there any of those where you played a role in the uh, the how to the operation side of it, where you get outside of just the the capital investment and and um, yeah, or, no, it might definitely my managing partner on the fund does a lot of that. And okay. then um, my partner Tony, who's our COO, will come in and talk operational. I'll talk more expansion, sales, growth, that kind of thing. Gotcha. And then always down to be a sounding board. And so we all work with our brands. And then the other piece is when like we're also a partner to that, so we're trying to figure out how to like drive partnerships and drive business and really build that out that way. As you're building and, and thinking about this idea, and like as we talked about sort of getting in early on in AI, now you're sitting there and you've got funds and 
I don't know, is that, was that always part of the ideas that you wanted to be in that space or has that become opportunity? It's an interesting part of, of, of being an entrepreneur. You've got this company, but now you're saying, oh, I can actually, I can actually help it was, and benefit from it. So is that part of the original plan? It was pretty early. It was, I'd say, that fund really planted that seed because originally yeah. I didn't want to invest in startups. And then once that happened, which happened quick, it was like, oh, this could be actually really interesting. And Whoa. at some point, it shouldn't be all my money. We should, you know, leverage other people's money and yeah. make returns for all of us. That, yeah. And I also, my wife, who I met a month after I started the company's in private equity. So okay. getting exposure to how funds work and kind of demystifying that world really helps go, oh, yeah, we should look at this. Yeah. That, that was interesting. I was going to ask you, what was the, just the, that is, it, it's a different world. And if you don't spend the time in it, it's hard just to kind of jump in it. it. It can go. You go sideways pretty quickly, right? Upside your buddies in something that you never see it again. So it, it, it had an understanding what the, where the risk talks is, is going to be. Um, yeah. Yeah. As you've been growing over the last eight years, have there been any moments along the way um, that, that you go, oh, crap, like th this is not what, what if had, have you had any of those moments over the last eight years where, where it has been the, the, that time when, you know, or should I, it would better ask how many of those moments? <laughs> how many? Right. I mean, that's part of it. I mean, that's the sure. fun thing is like, Building a business, you've got to kind of run with an optimism while sort of adjusting through a realism, yeah. if that makes sense. If you're sure. pessimistic, you won't even be an entrepreneur because right. there's, you can always find a reason not to move forward. Like it's very easy, but you kind of got to just believe that the future is brighter than the now. And if you don't, you're going to have a hard time building a business. And yeah. so with that, you've got to make decisions according to that, whether it's where you invest, where you grow, how you hire, um, you've got to just keep marching forward. And so you kind of make these optimistic bets and then you adjust based on what actually happens. And that's, you know, constantly reassessing and constantly making mistakes and uh, and readjusting. And so it's happened many, 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 many times. Brings me to an interesting question. We talked a little bit about you, but growing up and, and the, what was modeled. Uh, so uh, I've, I've brought this up on a, on a couple of shows, but you're talking about it right now. That there's an there's a question that in our community and and uh, Gina Wickman who wrote the book Traction it and founded EOS is of the firm belief that entrepreneurs are born. There's a certain resiliency that there's a, a thick skin that comes just it's part of who you are. It's your makeup. And then others would say no no that that can be developed and made and it, and it comes over the course of time. Which camp do you fall into? The latter. The I latter. think it's bullshit okay. to say genetic thing. Okay. Um, I think that circumstance and nurture create on and i've you know at my podcast hawk talk we've done a hundred and what have we done a hundred and nine seventeen episodes i think mm -hmm. and it's all origin stories of great leaders whether it's yeah. top athletes or blah, blah 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 and i've talked to them all about their origin stories yeah and a lot of entrepreneurs too and there's not some are at, like i was i came out wanting to be an entrepreneur like my dad instilled that in me early i don't know if i was actually born that way right but very early in life the way i was raised to, to put me on that path there are a lot of people that, you know, they think the average entrepreneur is for like the first time entrepreneur on average is 47 years old. But it was late. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of people yeah. that work through a long career before ever building something themselves. I would not argue that that person was a born entrepreneur. I think if you take the microcosm of Harvard dropouts starting tech companies, there might be a lot of born entrepreneurs in there. Yeah. But in terms of the broad scope of like what an entrepreneur is, no, not at all. I think that it's usually a circumstance thing. You get laid off. You got to scramble. You figure, wait, I can do this better than they did. I'll just do it myself. Or, you know, because it's really hard for people to take the leap, I think, is part of it. Like, sure. If you were, and I've seen it with a lot of people around me that were raised differently from me, that you're taught to go be a great employee. Our education system does it. Our, and listen, if your parents were great employees, they're going to teach their kids to be great employees. Right, and right. so there's this 
again, I think falsehood around the idea of how risky it is. One of my best friends, college friends, I, I, for eight years, I was pushing him to go start his own business. And while I started mine, I was like, get out of there. You can do this yourself. Da, da, da. And he was just so scared. And finally, two years ago, he did it. And he like called me like a few months in. He's like, Eric, I'm making way more money than I made as a salary. And I'm working like half the time. And I've got plenty of time to do other things. Like, what was I waiting for? I'm like, I know. I get it. Like, well, there's that risk tolerance piece that you mentioned, right? Because yeah. you got to have a little bit of that thick skin. Because I mean, that example is yeah. interesting what happened so quickly. But I, in general, you've got a stomach two years, three years, you got to get on the stomach, something where you're going to have a few clients and someone's going to leave and then this is going to happen Then this is not going to work and I'm going to hire someone and then that's going to work and then I'm going to hire the next few people. And right, so that's all part of doing and that's why, I, it, you know, if you narrowly define, because I think a lot of folks do call themselves entrepreneurs and are they really, which is, right, that true risk tolerance yeah. and that optimism you said, oh, this thing, if this thing fails, don't worry about it, I'll just go find the next thing and that's going to work, right? And sometimes it's yeah. the second, third, fourth company that is the one that yep. actually hits. I'm, I'm, I'm adding all these lessons from those first few, and so that that's maybe it's more narrowly defined in, in his mind. And I, I start hard arguing with him. He's, he's been super successful, and he really knows how entrepreneurs stick. And he's actually working on how the mindset of that entrepreneur right now. Like that's his latest thing. You know that that, that yep. do, knows how to run a company for a, an entrepreneurial company, but yeah, you know, what's it actually on the, on the mindset side? Uh, so yeah, really interesting. Well. You're in the middle of the night, get a little bit ahead of the curve, and, and obviously at the forefront. It sounds like, and and um, the companies do well. Where do you where are you headed next? Without giving away any secrets or planning, like where do you where do you envision the next uh, few years look like for Hawk Media? Yep. So we're finishing uh, sort of a branding exercise where we're really pulling together what we've created. Now we will be a decade old in January. We built out this AI tool, this venture yeah. fund, all this, and we haven't, from a like brand standpoint, a marketing standpoint of ourselves really shown how that all plays together and talked about it. So we're redoing right. our brand. Um, we're going to drop the media. So it's just going to be hawk.co um, and just be hawk. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to focus on being this AI-enabled, technology-focused, top marketing company um, and really fo focus on that lane. And so that's really where we're at. It's, a, it's an interesting phase because it's not about like what's the next thing we can spin up. It's now... How do we make this all work seamlessly yeah. together Love to it. be a powerhouse? And that's really what I'm looking at, right? Where does Hawk come from, by the way? I uh, grew up in Ojai, small town near Santa Barbara, and I uh, always loved the red-tailed hawks. And a Native American or a Chumash uh, chief told me when I was seven that red-tailed hawks were my spirit animals. So when I went to name it, I wanted to keep it simple, red hawk. I love the logo. I was going to check it out the hat. So I love the logo. It looks great. Great yeah. college it, friend. It, it's it. like, you know, I, I when I read Shoe Dog and how he called a, you know, University of Oregon student to make their logo. I was like, I called the University of Arizona student, a friend of mine. But that, said, hey, can you help me make this logo real quick? And it's stuck. And I, I love it too. I yeah, love rock and uh, It's awesome. Let's take a look at it. It's fa fantastic. Um, piece of advice. I'm going to ask you for, for a quote later on, but just for here, right? You, you've had some success, as you said, but bunch of twists and turns along the way, but really found something odd. Piece of advice that, that you think others that, that are out there Maybe they're in those first couple of years and it ain't going as smoothly and it's, oh, I'm my own boss, but mm, that's not all it's cracked up to be. So to something that you, you hold yeah. out today, may share with others. Yeah. It, it reminds me of a, I was talking to a friend the other day and he's like, you know, he started a new company and he's like, it's, you know, it's so exciting. I'm starting a new company, but it's also nerve wracking. And I'm like, well, just so you know, in 10 years, that excitement kind of fades, but the nerve wracking stuff doesn't. Never stops. Right. So, yeah. yeah. So if you if you mentioned this grit that entrepreneurs have to have, like you got to have it. And if you're miserable yeah. in the early days, like it's okay to just be an employee if that's not what you're built for, because you aren't going to get away from that. There is not a company. Look, look, look at 
uh, what's it called? Uh, open AI right now. Yeah. 90 billion dollar company and it's a shit show it's like, chaos oh, it, 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 yeah. who's in charge i mean it really changing yeah. by the hour i was reading it's something in, about this this past weekend it, I mean, it was truly chaos over the weekend it's, it's still it, chaos it's they still yeah. haven't figured out what's happening so yeah. same thing like apple's got chaos like it, there's yeah. no there's no finish line for a ceo and an entrepreneur there's not unless you sell yeah. and you're done like so knowing that you got to know what you're signing up for and if you're signing up to try to build a company to sell good luck because yeah. It's the whole, another adage is like, if you don't build a company, like you're going to keep it forever, you will. Like you gotta, <laughs> not, you can't build a company like you're going to sell it. Like that calling your shot thing happens rarely. There's a few guys I know that can do that. There's a few guys I know, and yeah, I know a lot of people. It's, so. it's limited. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, no doubt. And so you got to build something that's sustainable for you and sustainable as a business. And so if you're, and so the other piece of this is there are going to be hard times. And if you don't, work through and so you're going to have to work through hard times and that's yeah. just part of it and knowing that when those hit you can know and so there's two reasons businesses fail and this is something i've really paid a lot of attention to the past couple of years with this whatever you want to call it recession we're in or something mm -hmm. um basically business fail for two reasons one they get underwater financially whether it's debt or investment like you raise at a hundred million dollar valuation for your business and now it's only worth 10 and you're never going to 10x the business why the hell do you want to keep going? You don't own any of it anymore. Or you raise $100 million in debt. You can't even service the debt. The business falls apart. Either way, the investors or the financiers end up owning your business. And that's how you lose. That's one way, getting underwater. The only other way is the leadership gives up. That's it. Because if you don't have debt or investment, you can contract and expand most businesses. There's a little nuance here where there's like businesses that need a certain level of infrastructure to run. But that kind of goes to the getting underwater thing. But most businesses can contract to a pretty small point and expand as well. And so knowing that if you're in it for the long haul, if you need to contract, contract, expand, expand, and you just run it that way and it's okay. And then it just comes up with having grit, getting through those times because running a shrinking business is absolutely miserable. But if you can get through it, you can come out stronger the other side. So that's what I say is knowing when to give up is super important. Like, is it because it's hard? Then you shouldn't give up unless you're done. Like yeah. if you want to cash be done and you know and you are consciously making the decision that you're giving up fine i'm not going to judge you for it do what you want to do but it's not because the business failed it's because you you failed and that's okay it's but knowing also do you have something better you should be doing with your time because if you you kind of mentioned you're two years in things aren't going the way you should if you have something that you're very confident would be a better use of your time then don't stand on principle the other way either right, don't right. stick yeah. with it for the sake of sticking with it move on to the thing now, don't chase this shiny object either. Don't become the person that's like a social media manager, then a crypto expert, a cannabis expert, an NFT expert, an AI expert. Don't be those people. Right. We all know those people. Yeah. But uh, but if you're working on something and you realize like in your gut, it's not because it's hard, but it's because it's just not what you thought it would be. It's okay to move on in that sense too. Yeah. Cool. That's great. Very, very helpful there. Very helpful there. Eric, this has been great, and I appreciate your your dropping some wisdom here throughout the uh, throughout the episode, and and really sharing your story. Yes. This it's really fantastic. Um, uh, before I let you go and give you a chance to to point people in the right direction, and I appreciate the the insight of the rebrand. Um, I'll ask you our five fast questions here, get to know you a little bit better. So, do you have a favorite sports team or athlete that you like to follow? Angel City Football Club. I'm an owner in it, the women's pro talk soccer team in LA. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Super fun. Yeah, that's awesome. It's awesome. What, but one of the best sporting events I've been to, too. Just it's to get to. Fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you have 
in mind, if it was the last meal that you'd ever have, what you would have for your last meal? Oh, guilt-free, so, of course. Probably in and out Longer story there, but like my mom was a total health nut. And so I didn't have any beef in my life till I was 11. And my first beef ever was an In-N-Out burger. And like they catered my 16th birthday. I had them cater our rehearsal dinner at our wedding. Like yeah. have a thing for it. We're recording this and before the holidays. My son's about to come in, into town and it's the first stop that we make post airport is there. So, you know, I, I totally appreciate that and get it and, uh, and recognize it as well. Um, do you have a favorite vacation spot or a dream vacation spot that you'd like to get to you've never been to uh dream wise yeah honestly i've thankfully lived a great life in my late 20s and 30s that we've checked a lot of the dreams like yeah. the last one on there that i can think of like that's uh, well, i have other places i want to go but like the really big one i'm skiing in japan in february and that's like 100 percent is high on the list yeah but we also have a place in Cabo san lucas and i was just there i i go back as often as possible i yeah. work down there that's awesome that's awesome do you have a favorite rewatchable movie or TV uh, show or TV show? TV show. I love Entourage. That show was just great. <laughs> How about that? That's LA through and through right there though. So yeah, I appreciate yeah, it. I, it was like the perfect era. I was in college when it came out. Yeah. All my friends would watch it on Sundays and like we were dreaming about moving out to LA and like it's just, yeah, it was aspirational. Perfect. We were That's awesome. Perfect. Awesome. And then the last is favorite quote. Uh, you gave us a little advice earlier about favorite quote, something that you that you turn to or look, look at uh, from time to time. Keep, keep you. So I I don't know where it came from, but I started saying it when I was in like eighth grade, and I it was my senior quote or when I graduated college was okay. I'd rather regret what I did than regret what I didn't, which is always something that's driven me is like try it out, go. Yeah, you know I want to experience everything life has to offer, kind of thing. Awesome, awesome. Thanks so much for sharing that. Greatly appreciate it. If folks wanna. Want to find you, hit you up, grab a little more more knowledge here, or just follow what you're doing. Where do they, where's the best place to reach you? I'm on every social channel, at or slash Eric Huberman. Easy to find. Okay, beautiful. Eric, this has been great. I appreciate it. Thanks for carving out some time here in the afternoon and, and joining us and, and sharing that. Best of luck to you. Congrats on the recognition again for, for now. Hawk.co. We'll drop the meeting here. Hawk.co and wish you nothing but the best. Appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks. Eric. Have a great one. Bye-bye now. The Grow Your Damn Business podcast is hosted by Scott Goodrich, a professional EOS implementer. To learn more about EOS and how it might help grow your damn business, you can email Scott at scott.goodrich at eosworldwide.com or check out his website at www.eosworldwide.com forward slash Scott Goodrich. Thank you for listening to the Grow Your Damn Business podcast. If you found this conversation valuable, Subscribe to our YouTube channel and find us on your favorite podcast platform. We will see you next week on the Grow Your Damn Business Podcast.